Welcome to the show. In this one, I talked to Jesse Bertner and Jason Borgstead about JB Deuce, the name they produced the Borderline Snow and Skate videos under. Over seven videos, they featured snowboarders and skateboarders from Alaska, local kids who were passionate about getting clips and being part of the snow and skate community. Some would spend all season getting shots so they could have a full part. Others would get one or two solid clips that went into the friends section. The idea was to include as many people in the video as possible, because at its core, it was a local video that uplifted its scene. The video premieres became a cultural phenomenon. The first three premieres were at the Diamond Center Mall, just right outside Borderline Snow and Skate. Jason and Jesse would rent a projector and a screen from Carl's Action Video and set up chairs. It was modest. In fact, the first video, Polar Bears, Dog Sleds, and Igloos, was edited at Eagle River High School with the help of one of their former teachers. But the videos would soon grow into something they could have never imagined. Jesse remembers people trying to shove money into his hand at one premiere because it was sold out and they didn't have tickets. Jason remembers the borderline team showing up to a premiere in a motorhome and walking a red carpet. Both of those situations were at the 4th Avenue Theater, where hundreds of people came to watch the season-long efforts of local skaters and local snowboarders. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crudemagazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the company man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Sharon Liska, Jake Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, and Borderline Legacy. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at TeePublic. From t-shirts to hoodies to stickers, baby onesies and more. Just go to the crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Jason Borgstead and Jesse Bertner. Jason and Jesse say that my dad, Scott Liska, was integral to JB Deuce. They helped film and produce the video and Borderline sponsored it but it became known as the Borderline video. For the first one, my dad wrote a $10,000 check. He wanted it to be good, and good things are rarely cheap. So that's how it went. My dad would pay for the cost of the video, and Jason and Jesse would spend every free minute they had creating it. It was a labor of love, camaraderie, and commitment, 
There was a shared mentality of humor and seriousness that the videos exemplified. It was in the skating and in the snowboarding. But it was also in the names of the videos. Northern Exposure, 100%. Survival of the Tightest, The 49th Chamber, In for Life, and Steezin' for No Reason. So here they are, Jason Borgstead and Jesse Bertner. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. So before we get into it, Manchild wanted me to ask you guys if they're still together. <laughs> well, what time do they close? How long have they been open? <laughs> Has the eagle landed? Is that what he's asking? <laughs> you know, just I will let those guys know uh, for posterity. And I have attempted my best to bring that back and, and really implement it into our clinics with our reps. Um, on any kind of trip I go on with my staff during meetings, whatever I can do to tip the I'm cap glad. to yeah. the butt cheeks, um, I do it. I'm glad. Shout out to gerbs. That, that, yeah, like there isn't really a place for our kind of humor anymore. <laughs> like I just find up. myself just being like, I just always revert to just instant dinosaur status. Like, you know, just like, I'm like, wait, I, I gotta chill. Like, not everything can be a butt cheeks joker. <laughs> or a, that's what she said. We're like, yeah. we're, I mean, I know you're like that, Jason, and a lot of us. Whenever we get together, like the old timers, it just, there's no holds barred. Dude, it's so crazy that we're the old timers. Yeah. There's a, yeah. there's a big part of you that continues to feel like the 18 year old kid that's, you know, showing up at Arctic Valley to ride the wooden rail that Scott put together and session that. And, uh, and, but it's, it's not the case. <laughs> yeah. Although that wooden rail is probably still there. <laughs> did you guys have any moments when you did one of those jokes, the butt cheeks joke, and you realize like, oh, okay, this didn't land. Maybe I should, you know, step back on this. I mean, not in particular. It's more like the. Uh, I'm in a different situation. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's more like maybe the, uh, like, yeah, are you dropping joke that you wouldn't do, you know? Okay. <laughs> right I don't even remember that joke. <laughs> to your knees. <laughs> Perfect. Now, well, that's going in rotation. Yeah, yeah. That, that one's getting unretired. <laughs> yeah. The, the difference for me is that now I work with a bunch of kids who are uh, like, you know, we could say anything to anybody back then, and everybody understood there was love. Now there's an HR problem if I say it to the wrong kid because he's a minor. And now, you know, I have to watch my P's and Q's a little bit. So yeah. I, I definitely, in the beginning, 
was a little rougher and more old school with with some of our kids like Dakota and those guys, uh, and then realized that's not really going to fly anymore. So we've mm. got to amend that particular behavior and reserve it for uh, the group that that's grandfathered in. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's nice to know that we can update our mode of thinking and behaviors. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I realized that I might need to retire that with, you know, the the world at large is I was at a wedding and it was in Tahoe and um you know, I, I it was the groom too. I'm trying to remember whose wedding it was, but it was the groom and they were going back across the lake after the ceremony and i'm like oh that's cool you're going across the lake so you like that's pretty baller and he's like yeah it's pretty deep and wide (laughs) (laughs) buddy come on yeah yeah. and he just just, set me up just teeing him up here (laughs) yeah and then you know my dumb ass was like, oh, kind of like your butt cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's gold, dude. At least you didn't say the bride. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, um, Carrie laughed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I think that was about it. She's everyone a real one. Like, yeah, yeah. She, everyone else was like, what kind of joke is that? <laughs> she had your back. <laughs> I think the funny part of that story is that Jesse and I both really appreciate that somebody had your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You got to come up in the school of Scott Liska to really understand that. And the school of Borgie. We had to cut our teeth. You you had to be able to survive under those two, two uh, masters of butt cheeks humor. <laughs> it was survival of the fittest. Or you had to be ready with the jokes. Survival you of didn't, the tightest butt cheeks. Yeah, if you, were, if you weren't making the jokes, you were you were receiving them. So. You know, for someone who might not have been alive or even involved in the snow and skate scene in the '90s, can you describe what it looked like? And maybe Burtner, why don't you go first? Well, it looked brand new. I think is. Especially because for a young person, not so much the skating, but definitely the snowboarding and in Alaska, all the cultures coming together, it looked so brand new and different. So I think that's one thing. There wasn't any other real examples of it out there. They were few and far between, you know, like Mm -hmm. even more so. um, I started in 89. Um, Jason might have started a couple of years earlier. And like to watch a snowboard video for me meant watching the guy psycho in the movie ski patroller, you know, like, <laughs> like it was, you know, like you had to, you would go to video city and rent the one snowboard movie, whatever they had. And just, um, or the rent like Greg stumps blizzard of Oz and watch the one yeah. part where the snowboarding came on the screen, you know? So everything was just brand new. So as it was coming together, it was so, wildly unique and there was so much opportunity for expression because there was no normal setup yet mm-hmm. so it was just like oh like do you could be a part of this immediately and then you can do whatever you want inside of it and be accepted mm-hmm. yeah it just looked baggy <laughs> <laughs> that's what the 90s looked like was baggy 
Well, it looked um, pretty neon at first, right? Yeah, at first, it, yeah. And they, I started the same year, 89, 89, 90. And uh, it, uh, man, I mean, it's a similar trajectory. I saw what was being put out in some form or fashion, and I just thought everything about that was magic. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't really, I was not one of the people who judged neon and thought it sucked or anything. I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is dope. And uh, I don't <laughs> oh, know dude, if the it, bad boy club. Yeah, dude, I would kill. I have oh. one. I have a bad boy club onesie, but it's a small <laughs> like the it snow even, one. It won't even fit my wife. So yeah. The yeah. snowboard one. Yeah, snowboard yeah, like, one. Oh my god, that yeah, like that's like yeah. I went to Hatchers like first year and saw like people in Bad Boy Club, in O'Neill wetsuits, snowboarding in wetsuits. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's just sick. I I mean everything. It was all new to me, and I just clung on to everything about it that thought it was super cool. The way I describe some of it is. I would look at a magazine and I would look at every detail of everything from Damien. I didn't want to ride hard boots, but I would look at Damien's hard boot setup and Mm -hmm. how it connected to the board and the sticker on the board and, you know, for every single thing in the magazine. So, but that's not really how it looked as much for your question, but it, I think Jesse hit it. It looked new, but uh, it was all being created at that time. And we didn't know anything different. And it was so, I mean, snowboarding was a few years old at that point. And uh, skateboarding was just starting to turn from this crazy shapes with no nose to, I mean, I was around when we first started seeing noses come onto boards. Mm-hmm. And so we saw a lot of that. And then when it hit a certain point, probably like later 90s, things were pretty established close to what they are now and mm-hmm. just little tweaks from there on out. But it was really pretty crazy to be around and see it forming. Absolutely. It was like the lava was, wasn't cooling yet. You know, it was just yeah, pouring yeah. out and, and started to cool later on. I wonder if, or I wonder how you guys felt looking at, the magazines and seeing snowboarding and it's this budding sport, but those things are taking place outside of Alaska. You know, did you guys feel like, Oh, I wish I was there or it's awesome. I'm not there and we can create it here. Um, I didn't really immediately put that together, but I will say that like the first cruise up in Alaska, they were making a zine and stuff. Like Mm. I saw a zine of all Alaskan snowboarders, the first year I started. So I think I was given, you know, right from the beginning, kind of given permission to create media. And then like, oh, you're going to, if you get into it, you also do this. You, you you know, you, you do the act, but you do the snowboarding, but you also do, you know, the, the photos and the video and like, or whatever it may be. Yeah. When I first saw it up here and came into contact with it, most of it was with people up here and, going into G and B or, you know, like I said, the first thing I ever saw was a commercial that G and B put out on TV, thought it was cool, went down and got a board from Gary King and then started going into G and B and then started, you know, Oh, maybe mom will drop me off at one of the Mulcahy skate jams. Uh, or I went up to the 
hilltop half pipe within the first year and saw this guy travis who would wear these yellow look pants and this guy chad <laughs> and there was already a crew happening so yeah you i might have gotten a magazine and read a story about somewhere but more so that was a visual of me going oh this looks cool and then i would see crews in our town already so i wasn't feeling like i was missing anything my first connection is, or or the first checkpoint you want to get to is, oh, I see these people in my community. Mm-hmm. So I want to get to that checkpoint. And then I'll start getting deep enough into it, entrenched enough that I start to worry or think or consider, oh, what are these guys doing in the outside world? Mm-hmm. And one other further note, one of the first magazines I ever had uh, was a trip to Ruth Glacier, a uh, oh, article yeah. with Nick Parada and a few others. I'm not sure who, if it was Evan Fien or a few other people, but they did Ruth Glacier, which is, you know, Moose's Tooth and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you saw, I, I mean, for me, that was not a realistic Alaska snowboarding thing yet. Okay. You know, I was just trying to make it down the sledding hill by my house. Uh, and that's what I considered snowboarding. You know, I think that when you're that young, you have a very blinded, focused view of the world. And it's, and it's the younger you get, the less outside it is. You know, my child right now, all he sees is whatever's the room right in front of him right now. Mm-hmm. And then as he's going to get a little older, he'll start to think about like the whole neighborhood. And then he'll start to think about, oh, there's other schools on the other side of town that we're going to do sports against or something and the town will become bigger and bigger. But in those beginning points, all I saw was like skateboarding on my street. And then, you know, it, it gradually would expand from there. So I, I didn't feel like I was missing anything outside at that point. And we had a pretty blessed scene, you know, thanks to like some of the people that were before us putting so much energy into it. Yeah. I like feel like I stepped right into like an amazing scene. Like you said, like the Ruth Glacier article, like I read that. So right off the bat, it was like representation in the magazine, like, Mm -hmm. oh, Alaska. And then, you know, where I met Jason, we first ran into each other was at a borderline trampoline snowboard contest. And like Jimmy Halipoff, Randy Walters were judging it, two guys from the magazine. And so it's like, we felt like we were at the center of the universe and you know we might we just might have been <laughs> yeah yeah I, d- I definitely didn't feel like i was missing anything at that point yeah <laughs> yeah like uh you know the first day i went skateboarding in the street i went to hanchu and eric ellington was there huh he wasn't you know a big pro or anything at that point but he was damn good he was just so. eric back then yeah, it was yeah. just like <laughs> him and sick. Thomas Noonan were kind of the that's they were that's the, the other guy that was there. Yeah, those were the town like the new school leaders of the town. Okay, so they were the second charge. You had your first charge was the um, this guy named Matt and uh, and f- even Fowler being downtown and Louie and Gorder and these guys were the early charge. Uh, Pete Stein, another guy from Juno area. Those were your early Carl Augusted. That's the earliest charge. Carl has been here Hell since yeah. the seventies skateboarding. But for all for I so I don't I don't mean to forget anybody, but from my standpoint, 
Ellington came along when when I first got really entrenched in skateboarding. Then you saw him and Thomas skating Hanchu, and you're like, holy shit, I'm seeing a different level right in front of my face. Mm-hmm. And then they went on to be sponsored and stuff like that. Yeah. So before JB Deuce, Borg, you made a video called Against the Grain. Yes. I mean, loosely, you could call it a video. It was pretty hurting. <laughs> NSB. Yeah. And that's the video that really got you hooked on the idea of creating snow and skate videos, right? Uh, Yeah. That was our first project. We had the full-size VHS camera that looked like a shoebox on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I started using that, and the Bombex and I would group up and Eagle river has a lot of little rails or at least it did around town. So we would film at Arctic Valley and around Eagle river. This was my senior year in high school in 92, 93. And then as that year ended and the fall came around my shop teacher there, uh, they started a technology class and started linear editing and uh, which later listening to a hatchet interview, I found out that's about the time computer editing actually started happening. And so huh. we were way behind the curve, but <laughs> so, so we did linear editing. Um, the, the video kind of sucked because in that time frame we didn't understand how to insert a clip. And when I tried to insert a clip, it made this big glitch spot in the middle. Mm. So right as the video is just about to kick off and throw a opening hammer, it just stops and has like a space right there for three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just like trying to everybody chill. Uh, it's going to be good. I swear. <laughs> and we just drove by the spot and I just pointed out, to my wife yesterday, I said, that's where we first showed the movie. It's now a, a pawn shop, but it was Mia Culpa. And um, Scott was showing a normal movie and we somehow convinced him to let us show our movie. And Bertner did the same thing. And that was kind of where it was born. Can you maybe talk more about you know, this pawn shop that you guys are doing premieres at and that's... Oh, I can talk more. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No problem there. But (laughs) it wasn't a pawn shop then. It was a coffee shop, which strangely enough, you'll never believe this. Nobody listening to this will ever believe this, but coffee shops weren't prevalent at that time period. They were very rare, and this idea of a coffee shop was kind of new and intriguing, and Scott somehow connected with them and uh, used that as a place to show this movie premiere, a, a mainstream movie, I think Adventure Scope films, but I can't exactly recall, and um, and allowed us to convince him to throw our movies up real quick beforehand. Uh but it was, you know, I think that was your starts of of cultural meeting centers. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened to coincide with Scott doing events that were based around his store, which in itself was one of the, in my life, one of the biggest cultural meeting centers. You know, it was time period. The, the biggest. Yeah, it was time period uh, dependent. But 
that was a huge thing. That was part of the huge success of shops at that time period was that was where you went for everything you wanted from snowboarding or skateboarding, people to hang out with, information about it, all of it, to share it. And um, so, yeah, we, we got where to- do you, Where do you find that in your life now? I mean, you own a shop, so you have it, but- Sort of. <laughs> like, it's where it, else I mean, do you I'll, find it, you know? It doesn't To be exist. honest with you- to be honest with you, uh, it doesn't exist hardly anywhere, even in the shops as much anymore. Yeah. You know, you see some really, some shops have that pretty ingrained in them, but I can tell you that it's not the same now. It is not a place where people come and sit and watch videos all day or hang out or lurk. Um, yeah. And that's unfortunate. Because everything that they got from there at that time, they can get on their phone now. And I, you know, I'm not poo pooing old man, uh, you know, fuck technology and all that. It is what it is. Uh, but that is one of the factors to why it's so much different now. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely pine after it, you know, and, you know, you find, I find myself wanting to go to the coffee shop just to exchange a couple words with somebody in a day at a store, you know, just because I, I yeah. remember that feeling so much of borderline. Bertner, do you remember those premieres at that coffee shop turned pawn shop? No, I don't. But <laughs> I remember the first premiere that I remember the first movie I made, Jason coming over to Joe Hagedis's house and watching the movie with us. But we might have had a movie. I made this movie in high school with some with some buddies, and we might have they might have shown it at that at that um, Mia Copa. And there's a good chance I didn't go because, as Jason might remember, I didn't go to premieres for a number of years because I was too nervous about people watching the videos. <laughs> you were nervous about people's reaction to the videos that you made. Yeah, like I didn't go to the first two or three JB Deuce premieres. Now that you say that, I kind of remember putting them on sort of by myself, but I didn't. Re I did not remember that that was any of the reason why. Huh? Yeah. For like, some reason, my brain goes to like, "Oh, you must not have been in town or something." But that wasn't an age where you were really. Maybe you were. That ninety-seven, you were down in Bellingham, weren't you? Because yeah. there was Chatfield footage and but stuff like that. But I could like have that, come. So. I would have come back. I would, you know. Yeah. It wasn't. You were telling me like, dude, you have to be there, and I was just like, I don't know. You know, like <laughs> you're like, you don't understand. Like making the movie is cool, but wait until you're at the premiere. And I was like, yeah. And then like the the I think it was hundred percent was the first one I went to and. It was in the Diamond Mall, and I, and I just was so nervous, and I sat by Bogart. And it was like, from then on out, I had to sit by Bogart at a premiere because it was like, <laughs> dude, his reactions were like so epic. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I get it now. This is fucking sick. Like, you don't know how it feels until you're there and you're sitting by Bogart. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, our first three premieres, I believe, were renting a projector and a screen from Carl's Action Video and showing them in the Diamond Center uh, at that one end of the mall. And it's so funny, like, trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to block this off and not let people through and not get 
Mm-hmm. You know, we were worried about snakes or, you know, uh, those first yeah. two, I was worried about people snaking it. Yeah. You know, I mean, ultimately we should have been stoked if people snaked it, but, um, but yeah. And I, I think I even found a picture just recently of my mom at that hundred percent premiere sitting in one of the chairs and your dad, Jesse, I believe is right in the background. Huh. Like, wow. Right, cool. Like two seats over from her. Yeah. That is That's cool. awesome. I remember the uh, polar bears, dog sleds and igloos premiere at diamond center. And I remember, at least I thought I remembered, you know, talking to one of you and telling you, you know, that was the best snow and skate video I've ever seen, you know? And, and I think that it was um, probably because I knew everybody in it, you know, and it, and I had that connection to it. Would have been better if you had yeah. some clips. <laughs> <laughs> Want it to be a good video, get some clips. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. to be fair, at that point, if it was polar bears, dog sleds, and igloos, you'd be like three feet tall. Yeah. And you guys, the you had to be four feet tall to be in the video, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what year was it that you and Gus had a shot both one after another, ollieing the handshoe step? Northern exposure? I think so, yeah. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, and you were tiny in that clip yeah so you it for the year before you must have been really little yeah those were my uh my bleached tips days you know my my hair <laughs> my golden uh, yes. years 1997 <laughs> to 2017 <laughs> those, were those were good years <laughs> still rocking <laughs> Do you guys remember what it was like putting that first video together? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The first the first video we made at the high school too. At um yeah, out in Eagle River. Yeah, out in Eagle River. We just did a much better job than I mean, to be honest, Burton and I kind of met or well, I believe I was there at the Mia Culpa. I saw a movie that was either put together by you, Jesse, or your friends, and that's where it put me on the in my mind, I thought that was your video. So that put it on the map that, oh, you know, I need to connect with these guys. But that was 93 fall, I believe. And so we didn't do our movie until 97. Yeah. Our movie came out in fall of 97. So it was a, a few years of us both living in our own places, coming back in the summer. Uh, connecting and all that, and then finally going like, yeah, we should do this. And I believe that was the same year that was the first year of snowboard camp. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, and we we filmed a little video part of you for that the high school movie yeah. I made. Yeah, yep. up yeah, Arctic up Valley. at Arctic Valley. We filmed a whole part in a day, and that was like coming. And then you came to that premiere at Joe Hagedis's house. Yes. Yep. And that was like the day before camp started because we were in charge of getting like some of the ride pros and some of the Mervin pros out to camp. And we like drove them up to Joe Hagedis's house to watch our movie. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. You guys got to, you know, I did that. Uh, I pulled that same stunt with um, these guys don't really like me for it. Cause they, anyway, long story, but uh, there was that movie exposure up here that uh, mm-hmm. got put out and, Eric Ellington was around town and I was like, Oh dude, I got to get him to come watch this movie. Now, granted I had not seen this movie. I had no idea that they put a bunch of me in it. So 
and unfortunately that's what pissed some of the guys off um but i swear i did i had no idea and i would have never asked to have that in there so in my brain i'm like okay cool i'm going to fo- I'm going to force feed Eric Ellington these guys and maybe that'll give them a start to be like, oh, look, now a big pro knows who they are. Maybe it's a foot in the door. So they all come to the shop to watch this movie. And I keep like I'm on the phone with Eric and he's like, oh, we were out doing a glacier tour. I don't know what it was. Some sightseeing. We might make it back. And I'm like. Okay, well, we're going to hold it for you. <laughs> and I kept delaying the guys in the store. I kept delaying them, but not telling them why. Yeah. And I don't even really know these guys very well. It was like, uh, uh, you know, like, anyway, some some dudes, uh, Sam Metzger, um, CJ, yeah. uh, the super sick dude. And um, so I'm, I'm like, just kind of holding them like, hey, just give me a few more minutes, guys, a few more minutes. And like, it probably was like an hour later. <laughs> Then Eric strolls in and, uh, and you know, he's forced to the, the shit you probably want least as a pro <laughs> skater is like, Oh, cool. They're forcing me to watch their local video, uh, <laughs> yeah. which t- turned out to be, you know, like 45 minutes long. So you're like, Oh my gosh. And then 15 minutes of it is fucking me standing there that shouldn't have been in the video. And I'm like, Oh no, this is fucking turning out not to be what I was hoping, but but yeah, similar, hey. Jesse. We have a long yeah. history up here of forcing people to watch the videos that we have. Yeah. <laughs> we started out kidnapping people to watch our videos. Yeah. <laughs> it was with good intentions. You know, yeah. we were trying our best to, to up our people around us. It just wasn't executed necessarily the way maybe we had hoped. Yeah, that was like the beginning of my a lot of the beginning of my snowboard career was like managing expectations. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> where I, I like looked over at Mikey LeBlanc and Pat Abramson or whoever and was like, what'd you guys think? You know, and they're like, well, that's pretty long. You know? like, <laughs> I'm like, fuck. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, you got to like the pros, you, you don't understand in the beginning, like they're used to bangers and uh, that's pretty much what you got to feed them or they're going to not like the meal yeah we had no idea whose part or footage you know in those early years did you guys look forward to seeing uh micah and adrian yeah straight up i feel like we were a little jaded because jesse and i were pretty good at snowboarding at that point so we weren't the pros but we were used to seeing what was in our peer group already so it was rad but it was, you know, we weren't used to being around skating at that level. Um, exactly. You know, to speak for myself at that point. So when I saw, I was like, oh my gosh, what did they get? And and what can we film this summer? Uh, this is dope. And and that felt like the closest to me touching the pro skate world as I could ever get. Yeah, 100% is like just those two. They put the level, they took the level that, that already existed and they saw the stage that we were starting to create and they just like occupied it in a way that never saw coming. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, they're big. Yeah. Just what they were able to do with what Jason and I were working on creating is just so fantastic. And I think it really helped them too. Like that there was this movie that was a really big deal in their hometown and they were like, 
oh, look at that. I'm going to like, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to do it on the level that I see being done out in 411 and in the big pro videos, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They held us all to a high standard. Like they held the snowboarders to a high standard um, that we tried to meet what they were doing. So did you guys see that often? You know, um, you said a drawn and Micah, right? Yeah. Did you see that their skating influenced even like the snowboarders to, to take it to that next level? I mean, yeah, like for me, especially, and, you know, I think for Cooley too, and other guys like that, they saw Micah's in particular commitment to the video part and the way he was approaching it and his just commitment to the game, so to speak. Yeah. And it was like, wow, like we're putting this dance party on, but this guy's the one that's really like utilizing it to its fullest. Like you better be ready to go all in if you want to be in this video. Look what he's doing, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that was pretty, uh, that when you think back about some of the amazing parts of what we had there was that we had a really big group of people that were committed at a high level. We didn't have, um, we didn't have a lot of lingering on the edge type of people that were really, we did, but there were so many people that were heavily down to yeah. kill themselves every year get get everything they could going to make something happen you know they believed in this thing when you when you look at it on paper it was a small hometown video it presented and executed much bigger than that and the and part of that is its own momentum and part of that is because so many people saw that and ran with it and were willing to you know, like, look at the names of our in for life, you know, mm -hmm. things like hundred percent. Um, part of that's me and my over-dramatized life, but, um, they, those people were like that, yeah. you know, I felt that way about it personally. And I tried to push that. And a lot of people, most people felt that with inside themselves and jumped on that train as well. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't like forcing people to be overly committed. You had, people who wanted to have uh, an impact in skateboarding, wanted to have an impact in snowboarding, wanted to impact at this premiere and this scene and all of that. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't have that, then it would have shown through. Yeah. When you say uh, people risk their lives, is like a clip come to mind? Because as soon as you said that, I just thought of Scalzo just going through that box. <laughs> it's such a nightmare. <laughs> like the yeah, second the you said that, I just like thought of Scalzo, the like four fifty-ing <laughs> out of that box. The steamroller. Shout out Scalzo. Yeah, I th I think we didn't know it at the time, but you know, as a parent and an old person now <laughs> uh you look back and there was plenty of life risking going on at mm -hmm. that time yeah definitely that's probably one of the things i'm you know just to probably jump around a little bit here but when when i reflect on it now mm -hmm. one of the best parts of that was how big it became for a local video and how important it was to a lot of people and how serious they took 
their role in it. When do you think the JB Deuce videos became synonymous with borderline or was it that way from the very beginning day fucking one yeah day one dude yeah okay <laughs> i mean shit, i mean burtner and i would always talk about this it was the jb deuce video sponsored by borderline but it became the borderline video so ultimately they were interchangeable yeah and i mean scott went way out on a limb financially for us to make the first few movies not that he was maybe putting himself at risk financially, but it was a big chunk of change for us to go to Carl's action video. The second movie, I should say. Yeah. And on, you know, to go there and, and rent the editing bay for the whole like two weeks or whatever. And like, uh, yeah, it was, uh, if we want to talk cheddar biscuits, I think the first video was, I think Scott wrote a $10,000 check for that video, which was seemed like insane to me yeah <laughs> yeah i don't remember that part of it uh but those first the sorry the second and third videos we sat there with somebody and basically went through everything yeah so load this clip uh cut this one no cut it a little bit more okay back it out no that doesn't look that great let's lay the music down here and somebody had to do everything we asked and yeah. that cost a lot of money because that it was, was the owner of this company. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And that was the first final cut pro. It was like, now we're going to do it on fine on, on the computer. <laughs> we're like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? And he's like, I don't had... even was the second, was the first video we did with Carl. I feel like that might've still been linear. And then that the was next linear. One... Yeah. Northern exposure was linear. Yep. And then, and then for those of you was, at home, yeah. For those of you at home, your phone is nonlinear. You just move <laughs> a clip around with your finger and put it wherever you want. This was recording something onto a piece of tape and then recording the next clip onto it. So if you wanted to move that clip, you had to rewind and re record over that piece of tape. Um, it was it was rough and it cost a lot of money and then we would typically deliver i think he got 500 copies of the video for that price too we were burton and i uh, at yeah, least in my right. mind we were struggling to figure out how to justify this cost to scott so we were basically yeah. handing him everything we could with it oh you get 500 copies of the video um, which now when you think about it we fucking sold 500 copies i mean scott had sold out of that stuff oh yeah he made his money back for sure yeah no no problem and then he made the money on the premiere so and he ruled <laughs> yeah he took the, <laughs> i took the fucking risk <laughs> now i rule that's how you rule yeah you want to rule you got to rule <laughs> yeah. cody's gonna be back in therapy after this episode yeah. <laughs> oh you guys point the camera how much is that <laughs> press a button <laughs> yeah sounds expensive <laughs> and how old were you guys when you started doing this uh 22 for me when at 97 was 22 yeah so i guess i was 19 19 yeah you know something that i i've always thought of and i, I guess i've never asked you guys but I've talked to you guys individually 
you know, about JB Deuce, about it getting started, about, you know, you guys just putting the videos together from, from the very beginning. And something that always shines through is just how determined you guys were. You know, you're 19, Jesse, um, Jason, you're in your early 20s. Have you guys ever put any thought into why you had so much determination back then? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think for me, snowboarding was really like a my first and true sort of vehicle for self-expression, like the best one I had found by far. Like up to that point, I was just kind of middle of the road on so many things. It was like the, I think it, me finding snowboarding linked up perfectly with my development physically and mentally. And it was just like, this is going to be it. This is where I'm going to make my mark. And I kind of been laboring under that, under that idea ever since. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then this like video played so much a part of it and, and magazines from the very beginning for me, like I just wanted to create in that space also, like I would look at the magazine. They were, I wasn't even good at snowboarding. I was, I was getting good while looking at the magazine. Just I, I couldn't even turn. I was looking at magazines and wanting to do the tricks, you know, so mm -hmm. very much wrapped up in the media side of it from the very beginning. I think I just have an addictive, compulsive type uh, personality for whatever my interest is at the moment. So I when I was different sports as a little kid, then I just saw that. That's all that my mind saw. And once I found skateboarding, really fell in love with it. And then subsequently, you know, right after that snowboarding, I knew there was nothing else that I had any real interest in. And there was not a conscious decision of let's stay the course or I don't know. I, I never, f this question gets asked every once in a while and I never felt like there was another option. I didn't feel like there was any other pull. I didn't feel like there was any distraction to it. It just felt like, oh, we're going to make a movie? Cool. We're going to make a movie. Mm -hmm. That's that's the definitive exclamation point. We're going to make a movie. There's no point in time where I was like, is this not going to work? Is this going to, Yeah. how do we, you know, I mean, you do it. You're just going to do it. So you will figure it out. You will take all the steps necessary and you will do it because this is what I love this is the group I want to be around. This is the community I'm into. This is everything I want to fucking drown my life into. I mm -hmm. just want to jump in this pool of skate and snow and I don't give a shit about anything else. So yeah, I, it, it wasn't really an option. It never felt like a choice. It just was, that's what it was. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a really fun place to be in. I try to take that as much into my life as I can going forward, you know, like just do it, you know, that same feeling, just diving in. You know, being creative people, both of you, I'm sure you guys have in the course of your lives seen where the ideas that people have don't come to fruition. You know, there's a lot of ideas, people out there that don't ever pursue that idea 
to its end. And and I found it, or I still find it interesting and pretty wonderful how you guys found each other, you know, and you guys are the type of people both together and individually that followed through with the project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were... <laughs> We were both sort of heavyweights in our own scenes inside the Alaska scene at the time. And Jason obviously being the bigger planet, having already like branched out and won contests and being like in a Volcom video. And like, he was the big pro of our time. And then I was building something grassroots out of the hillside, which was a ways away, a totally different scene that was a little more new to snowboarding and so when we came together with um <laughs> when we got together you know we were like basically two separate planets that had our own or people pulled into our orbits and then mm -hmm. putting those together was really an even bigger gravitational pull and then you got to talk about scott liska and borderline and then you're talking about uh almost you know a gigantic gravitational pull <laughs> mm -hmm when we, you know, with his store and his enthusiasm and his, um, just fearlessness, uh, and, you know, letting us tap into that, we were able to really create something. So we were both, you know, motivated and we were going to do our ideas and, and bring them to life, but we were also lucky and, and, and assisted by, by Scott obviously in borderline and just by the era that snowboarding was getting so hot at that time. And just that mm -hmm. whole time period was such a force in and of itself. And there we were kind of perfect, like right, right place, right time, right people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I never have considered myself particularly creative. I feel like I'm a little bit more, I see what the standard is and I push to be the best in that direction as I can be. Uh, I think Jesse's more of an artistic creative side and I'm more of trying to perfect whatever I'm doing. Uh, I would get a little more creative in our skits and trying to be funny and stuff. But when it came to snowboarding, I didn't particularly feel that creative. I more felt like, okay, I see what's going on here. I'm going to push to the, the furthest I can push that. I wasn't really looking for like uh, a branch off direction of my own. Um, yeah, but that was creativity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it. Uh, I'm not trying to nag myself super hard. I'm just uh, being realistic about it. And uh, I, I find that in a lot of the areas that I do things. Uh, but I think that when I had Jesse around and we were able to, uh, I might throw something out and then his brain, I felt like looked at things differently and that would give me a different feedback. I wasn't just in my own echo chamber. I was getting a different reverb off of that. And that allowed me to, to see it different, to think and, and, um, direct that a little bit different and come up with things that I may, I would not have come up with on my own mm. and, uh, speaking to the other side of things. Yeah. I mean, dude, we were in a perfect fucking perfect bubble here. You know, we, snowboarding was become, it was blowing up and 
the thing that I always loved about uh, that scene and the reason I wanted to start a shop and everything was because that fucking time and group and situation was so perfect that it allowed me to flourish. It allowed me to flourish in my writing, in my personal confidence, in my filmmaking, in uh, friend groups, all of that to give me a level of, of that confidence that allowed me to go out and, you know, and rise up in a bigger level as well. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like, uh, there's a really high probability that I would have not gotten where I was at without this scene to lift me up. Mm -hmm. It, you know, I, I don't know how to put it exactly, but it basically, gave me all the nutrients I needed to grow into what I became. And if I didn't have this scene, then I, I would not have been, it would have been much different. I don't know what it would have looked like, but I'm fucking blessed and grateful every day that I had Scott and Jesse and, and this group in this time period, in this era, in this state, uh, in this environment of resorts and, and, mountains and stuff like that over anywhere else I could have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think about when I think about the scene and I think about like Jerry Smythe, <clears throat> you know, like Jerry maybe wouldn't have even skated, but uh, he got into it with Micah and the crew and he was just kind of, just kind of dabbling. Mm -hmm. But the scene was such that, it was like it it molded you and and he rose to the challenge and next thing you know he was just getting bangers we're mm -hmm. like where is this coming from you know and 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 he's got something he's got something special and then you know then he ends up on the cover of thrasher magazine it's just yeah, like yeah this is so sick you know like <laughs> he was never a pro skater but like that's just a good example in my mind of of how much diversity, like if you want to stick with Jason's nutrient and uh, metaphor, it's like so much biodiversity the scene was creating, and um, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean like it just kept creating new exciting people that would feed into our movies and then go out into the world, like John Cooley and mm -hmm. you know Mark Landvik. He was gonna do mm -hmm. great stuff on the snow regardless of us but we supercharged that process you know that mm -hmm. and he was able to really launch off from it i mean ultimately he came back from one of the super parks and i had a conversation with mark where he was really dejected and and not feeling solid about snowboarding not because of his riding but because it just seemed like there was no notice going and i think jesse's connection with the Northwest along with a family connection Mark had kind of all worked together. But I, you know, I would, from my outlook, really Jesse's connection to that helped get Mark seen a little mm -hmm. and let that explode. You know, there's a, to step that back a little bit, there's a lot of fucking talent out there and a lot of it comes down to being lucky. Mm -hmm. And hundred percent, you know, what, if, what if, what if the right, per, what if there was no Northwest connection there, then Mark might've said, well, I guess I'm going to keep doing construction and stop doing this because it's not working out. And then 
the gift that snowboarding would have lost because of that is immeasurable. Yeah. And what if there was no seven minutes of footy to show when that connection is made, you know? Right. Which is what we were doing with JB Deuce. You know, we were stacking for all these people and just being like, how's your timeline looking? You know, like, mm -hmm. and then when the moment was there, it was like, yeah, when, you know, there was some, there was some serendipity with Mark down here, his grandmother selling Mike Olson, his house who's the founder of LibTech and Mervin manufacturing and, uh, but, and, but also, you know, when it was came time to put some footy in front of, in front of those guys for real, we, we had it, you know, mm -hmm. we had it. Yeah. I learned pretty early on that there was, uh, that this industry just doesn't happen without help. People lift you up and you have to, you have to continue that to others. It's what it's, it's what you owe. You know, I, nobody makes it in pro skating or snowboarding without somebody lifting them up along the way. There was some point in time where if this X or Y person didn't come into their life, they most likely would not have made it at all. Mm -hmm. And that happened for me. There were guys that came along that lifted me in that, put me in front of the right person, allowed me a chance or a venue to shine. Um, and so it's, it's fucking absolutely, it has to be where we take that and pass it on to the, for other people. Mm -hmm. And you should want to. Um, yeah. And I, and I believe it, in my, in my mind, the, the biggest goal of JB Deuce videos from my perspective, whether I ever expressed it or not, uh, was to up our community was to give them a platform to shine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, obviously I'm going to shine in it, put my own stuff in there, try to do the best I can for that, do cool edits, all this stuff. But when, when it came down to what is the fucking, what is the main goal here? It's let's let these people be seen. You know, mm -hmm. we are not, there's so many people doing cool stuff and they can't be seen. So here you go. Let's let them be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys help shine a light on a lot of different riders from Alaska. Are you proud of any in particular? I love all their stories. I'm just proud we did it. I'm just proud that we allowed people a platform to uh, to do it. Yeah. Know? Yeah, it's like some of the people we already mentioned, like Micah and Adrian and, and then Cooley and Lando, obviously, but just everybody's story, like Andre... Spinelli mm -hmm. and uh, just being able to connect the scene so much of the scene together in one place was really cool. When you pull someone like Dre in, who's um, got a whole different list of kind of riders that he came up with and connected with the turning and hardcore and stuff, which is a whole other blossoming scene that's wrapped up in borderline and like mm -hmm. the whole thing was just a cultural explosion really <laughs> yeah so much stuff was being created at that point and now people are smoothing the edges but back then they were doing the rough cut and creating it mm -hmm. and it was really amazing to see it see it all happen you know you have draper draper was a big one yeah oh yeah but when you say that, like, I'm not particularly proud of any one person or like, I don't know how that, that sounds a little weird to say, am I 
what I'm proud of is that we got people auditions, so to speak, you know, you can't get the part if you don't get in front of the people. And we were able to help some people get in front of the right people. And that is what I will be most proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Borg, what was your favorite skit? God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a real toss up between the pool scene and the uh, Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> Britney scene. I, I think ultimately the, the pool scene, cause we just, we knocked TL, TLR out of the park there. Yeah. That one's just, that one's legendary. What was that hotel called? It was like the, I remember thinking we were staying in like a nice hotel, but it's like one of the ghettoest ones, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a shit casa. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> And then Andy was there with the reflective, you know, thing. I thought we were such yeah. a pro. We were so pro because we were reflecting some sunlight onto you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting the right light, getting rid of shadows. Yeah. What a fucking epic trip. Yeah, that one's that one's the banger, dude. That one's the banger. Yeah. I mean, to be like, this is a big moment for us. Is. Uh, this is like when those kids go, oh, we're going to go across country and make our mark. Mm-hmm. I look at it like that a little bit because that was the first year that uh, we decided like we can't sit in Carl's den anymore uh, because we felt limited. So I bought a laptop. I bought Final Cut Pro and a hard drive. And we went down and we traveled away from Alaska to make the movie so we could be isolated and just focus We went down to Southern California. We uh, loaded a bunch of stuff in. Then we got into a hotel and would just work day and night. Uh, Luckily, Andy was around. Super genius. Shout out uh, to answer the most basic of questions that we would have constantly. Yeah. And help us learn Final Cut. And we just fucking, we went at it in this hotel room day and night trying to edit this movie and it was one of the best experiences i can ever remember having i think it was a lot yeah it might have been might have been um it wasn't a holiday Inn express i would have been much better with all my edits and jason would go out and get some skate clips in between he's getting buzzer beaters yeah we got to skate with d's was down there going to college in mm-hmm. Costa Mesa. Yeah. So he would cruise by every once in a while and go, what up? <laughs> and uh, with his bike, his beach cruiser. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'd go down and get Wahoo's fish tacos. And it was just, it was incredible being by the beach, warm, skating, doing weird stuff in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure I still had an earring at that time. <laughs> I was like so exhausted at the end of that. When you dropped me off at the airport, I missed two flights, like sleeping on the floor. I missed my flight twice. I like slept through the first one. I was like, oh shit, I missed the flight. They're like, oh, you can get on the next one. And I slept through it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But we did it. Yeah, that was a that was a big step for us because we we went out on our own at that point. We took coat. We took total complete control of the creative process and the production of the movie. And, um, 
and that was a that was a big point for us. Yeah, I mean, like hundred percent year we're at Carl's and we had to do a slow mo. This oh no, that was on actually no. Which movie did we flip the coin to see if Anthony was going to be in? <laughs> that it? was Northern Exposure. <laughs> oh okay, yeah. So the slow I remember the slow mo on that coin flip was like multiple trips to the to the Fifth Avenue food court, you know, like. <laughs> It's like, all right, yeah, to wait for this. it to render out. Yeah, it was like, okay, we'll see you in, uh, come back in like an hour and a half. We'll see how it's looking. Yeah. The whole movie? No, just the one slow mo is like, it was okay. like, okay, we're going to do a slow mo here. You know, it was like, <laughs> stop the presses. We're going to do a slow mo. You know, it was like, so the difference between that and, you know, just a couple years later, technology wise, was crazy. Yeah. And we really kind of overdid it too. And we got in our own in the editing suite. Like we're like putting, like doing all the crazy edits. It was kind of the fashion at that point with like the trans world videos Definitely. and stuff. Like, yeah, we're like that one song with the the Rolling Stones song. We like put black in every time he said the word black. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that Draper's part? Yeah, it was. Uh, he yeah. was part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think him and Lando and if, no, Lando had um, Pixies on that one. Yeah. Oh, those were the beautiful times where uh, getting music rights meant you bought the CD. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? I paid ten dollars. I paid twenty dollars for the rights to this song. Yeah, like we actually like literally like thought that too. You know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we knew that wasn't working, but that's what we told ourselves out loud. <laughs> yeah. Was there yeah. was there a point where you guys fi- found out where you guys found out about getting rights to songs well as soon as you start talking to distributors and stuff yeah when we tried to sell it to japan and stuff they were like whoa where's the rights yeah (laughs) yeah it was like okay well you got to fill out this form that's you know got all the info for all the music and everything and and um yeah those were so then we had to start doing that as best we could what do you guys think was the most memorable video premiere? It's got to be Fourth Avenue. <laughs> How many did we do yeah. there? But I'm thinking, uh, which movie was it? The 49th Chamber. Is 49th Chamber where we kept it, keeping it ghetto? I don't exactly recall, but whatever the one was where we came in on the top of the RV. Yeah. Like everybody climbed up on the top of the RV and drove up to the movie premiere and there's hundreds of people standing outside and the the crew gets off the RV and yeah, that people was. People were literally just like begging to get in, like mm-hmm. jamming money in our hands. Like, yeah. <laughs> like oh my God. <laughs> uh, we sold out. Yeah, we sold out. Yeah, we sold out a show and did a second showing of of it one year there and i don't know how many seats that place had but it was it was like in the upper 800s or something like that maybe josh boots played uh that's possible too yeah yeah he did play one year i think that was the season year though because i i'm pretty sure i had that white shirt with the um with the Fuck, how come I can't think? The stencils on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about a most memorable video part at a premiere? 
I don't have anything for that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't really have one off the top of my head. You know, I guess where, where I was thinking or what I was thinking with this is, again, seeing people's reaction, you know, whether it's a skit or whether it's a part or whether it's an ender and you're like, oh, I can't wait to see people's reaction to this. Ah, uh, we did a lot of that cool stuff. Um, I think there was a fair amount of that. I, th I think Anthony's <laughs> coin flip, we were like, thought we were geniuses for that. And we're like, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it was. <laughs> it was. Yep. <laughs> I loved Micah's skit in the Diamond Center where he's in love with his board. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, we were probably loving that, um, that little joke, the high pitch uh jerry and mitch skit yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a good one <laughs> yeah um i the fourth avenue theater was the first time where it really hit that we were having an impact beyond the skate and snow community mm -hmm. because you could see that by that point it had gotten big enough that people would in you know invite all their friends so all the skaters had all these friends that uh, weren't necessarily skaters, mm. but they were, you know, they wanted to come and support them. And when they would see them come on the screen, they would lose their shit. And I remember being in that mid section, looking up to the upper section and, and just hearing people go ape shit for skate, some of the skaters and thinking, wow, this is really becoming a thing in this town. It's a force in this town. Yeah. And being like, you know, like just giggly inside that, wow, we did this. Yeah. You guys mentioned how packed the premieres were at the fourth Avenue theater. Do you remember the first time you were at a premiere? Maybe it was at the fourth Avenue theater and you looked around at the audience at a sold out show. I don't in particular, I'm usually such a stress case during premieres that I'm possibly was like in the hallway or like behind the screen, <laughs> like I used to yeah. like just leave and like go somewhere where I could still kind of hear it, but I wouldn't see it. So, <laughs> and yeah, Jesse, I believe would usually put me on the microphone and stuff, which you didn't have to twist my arm. You know, I, for whatever reason, I'm more naturally inclined to that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. that's kind of led to me being, doing announcing for events and stuff. So I've, I would kind of jump in on that. And, um, I, you know, it felt like that from the very beginning for me, because I was at those first couple premieres at the diamond center and I couldn't, couldn't believe it. I yeah. was just like, wow, this is big. And that hundred percent one was, I, that was the third one at the diamond center. And that one was ape shit. That one was when it really, really hit. Yeah, we weren't just a couple chairs around the projector. It had gone from like 300 people to four or 500 people to way more. You know, there was mm -hmm. a lot of people and the skaters were getting rowdy because they were really starting to show out for themselves. Um, and, it, you know, that that 100 percent one I think was we got in trouble really, with the really mall. popped off. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how could we not? Yeah, there was some, <laughs> I think some like stuff there were white walls were like there's some drinks thrown on them or something but yeah good times yeah i feel like that was always a 
a mark of success, whether it was like a prank at Diamond Center or in this case, a uh, a video premiere, is if mall security got pissed. Yeah, they were always <laughs> pissed. <laughs> By that mark, we were so successful <laughs> in everything we did. <laughs> How much were you guys thinking about your own parts in the videos? A lot. A lot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That was all I had going for my snowboarding, you know, was this video was always my, my one thing I was working on. So it was always trying to just do the best I could for it. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're trying to make your mark in, snowboarding at the same time as making a movie so you're definitely putting that at you know up there as a big deal mm -hmm. do you guys think being writers yourselves and working on your own parts affected how you rode with and also edited the parts of other writers I think so. I mean, I've always had a lot of empathy for just getting people in the video, just knowing how it feels. And I, Jason's the same way. Like, it's really like wanting to have as many people involved as possible. Like, let's get that guy in there. It wasn't like, let's keep these people out because we're better than everyone. Or like, mm -hmm. it was more of a feeling like, let's get as many people in there as long as they have that moment. Let's get them in there. You know, like the friend mm -hmm. section was always so important and then just like hey we could do another multi-section with all these guys you know like yeah we weren't the kind of we weren't doing the shakedown model where it was like nope you got to be one of these five humans that to get in this <laughs> thing you know it was like as much as much of the community as possible like how stoked are they going to be to see their name on the screen you know yeah and then within that though like also being writers within that we cut that we would cut it tight you know like cut it pretty damn tight like we were trying to you know jason would bring knowledge back from mac dog he worked with mac dog so he already had like a lot of knowledge about how mike mcintyre and that crew like operated and so we were trying to like emulate them also but like so cut the parts tight but then get as many people in as possible <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah we did. De we definitely gave a, uh, <clears throat> sorry. We definitely gave a lot more leeway to the friends section. Yeah. So as long as it was like, as long as it was shot, okay. And it could be fun and fit in, then it was cool to go in there. And then maybe if you were just a guy who only had one or two bangers, maybe that would go in the opener. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but when it came down to people's parts, we tried to, tried to keep a standard up of what was going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think just being writers too, the other way it would affect the video was like, you pretty much had to film if you were in the video because we didn't have filmers per se until Manchild came along mm -hmm. and kind of presented himself as just a guy that was only going to do video or like, what's that? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like everyone oh, dude, does that's a, I don't know if you and your team managing roles, if you deal with this now, Jesse, but I will frequently run into people who are like, I can't do anything right now because I don't have my filmer. Yeah. And you're like, what do you mean? <laughs> your friend, you, like you're all filmers. And I, I definitely just encourage people like you all got to learn how to pick up the camera so that you can be there for each other uh, and make it happen. 
Mm-hmm. There's no reason why you shouldn't be an excellent, at least working to be a better filmer at all times. If you're, if you're working on a video project in skate or snow, you should be like constant because it's just going to help you. Like you're going to start think, think about how you want to be filmed and then film your friend that way. And then communicate like why you made your choices. Everyone's going to get better at it. And, and I, you know, I've had my ups and downs as a filmer. Don't get me wrong. I'm like not a great filmer. I've filmed some great things. I'm not a great filmer, but I honestly feel like just the last like few years, I've really started thinking about how I'm doing it, which is hilarious. Uh, I you know, always just sort of got the shot and didn't really think about like what I was doing. I was just like, just film all the time, you know? And so, yeah, there's no reason why you shouldn't be just stacking with your buddies at all times. Mm-hmm. I was so entrenched in it that every I didn't party, you know, mm-hmm. so I would, and I don't think Jesse did at that time either. And I think both of us had that passion for skating and uh, so much so that we were soaking up everything we could. I would go home at the end of skating and then I would watch skate videos. And then in the morning to get hyped up, to go out, I'd watch skate videos. And then I would go out and come to Anchorage and skate with everybody. So eventually you're going to look at it and not just close your eyes to everything, but the actual tricks, you're going to start to look at, Oh, why does that trick look good? What about this angle? And what about that? And I started studying angles and ways to do that. We didn't have the internet to consult for like, how do you do this setting or not? So you would just mess around. But I think both of us, not only were trying to be the best snowboarders we could be, but also the common bond there that really made this thing work is we both wanted to be really good at filming. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just as important for me to learn how to do that, how to keep the camera steady, how to do a pan or whatever to find different ways of looking at it um as it was to do my own thing Mm -hmm. yeah i had a couple unfortunate camera choices in there the canon gl1 (laughs) (laughs) was it put a big big hitch in my step like i just regret that camera a little bit but uh, yeah it got in the way of my filming but um yeah, eventually my sort of run and gun style ended up working out for me. Mm-hmm. But I never really took a step towards, I don't, yeah, professionalism on the video side past just getting the rider in frame, making it look exciting and showing the trick as good as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, never really took a next step to being like the super high quality dolly drone world of things. <laughs> do you guys think you would you know in this maybe alternate or uh kind of fairy tale land if you guys were like we're gonna do one more jb deuce video do you think that you would uh do it run and gun or would there be dollies and you know more modern stuff like that young dolly i don't know about dollies (laughs) but (laughs) i mean if i guess if you have the stuff and the shot went i think both i'm gonna speak for both of us uh if we were (laughs) collaborating if we were collaborating and the shot seemed to call for that then i think we'd both be down for it yeah that's just the thing is like when the tech and the when it when it when it when it 
makes sense. It's beautiful when you do it just to do it. Yeah, it's like you can tell, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean the the tools these days are so are so awesome and plentiful that it's you really want to use them, you know. Mm -hmm. I still go out and do stuff with Micah, and he's, you know, Micah's taught me so much about filming. He was one of the first people in our videos that stopped me and was like dude film it from this side like this you know mm -hmm. like yeah i'm like oh what what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> but uh he you know and you're like thanks for that tip can you clean your lens now <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> how about you don't how about you use that tape only 48 times instead of 49 <laughs> yeah. yeah there was a lot of that going on but yeah he um he'll use a drone and stuff and uses the, the tools that and and uses them in a good way so there's there's always a yeah there's always room for it yeah was there a point when you guys felt like you hit a stride in production and i guess you'd call it talent or the writers maybe in for life maybe like i don't know third fourth video or so it it the first two videos, the first video we did editing and we didn't know what we were like, we we're like, what's going on here? You're just discovering it. Second video and third video were with Carl. And so we're beholden to somebody else the whole time. Third or fourth video, we're just doing it ourselves. So that's like, that made it new again. And then after that, I think we were like, all right, we got it all this is all, there's a formula here that we've figured out and kind of works for us. Mm -hmm. We edited 49th Chamber and In For Life, I believe at my house. Is that right? Uh, or just In For Life? I think so. It's hard Didn't, to remember. Where was Steezen done? Mount Hood. <laughs> yeah, working okay. at snowboard camp. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think um, for me it's probably so right the in two, that. I, we did like yeah. forty night chamber in for life zone. Yeah. And as you guys worked on more videos, did things change at all? Maybe in how you worked together or how you worked with skaters and snowboarders. Mm -hmm. I, maybe there was a striving to start making it more professional or when I say professional, again, I roll back to my less than creative side where it was more like I saw what the big guys were doing and I was like, all right, well, let's take our building blocks and do what they're doing with it. So the, the, the final product's going to look a little different, but the four or, you know, the pathway, again, I just wanted to take what I saw the best people doing and do the best I could towards that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, um, you know, just as you say that it triggered something inside me that part of the issue may have been losing track a little bit of certain things when we thought it was all figured out and going, all right, cool. Here's our formula. Let's do this and stuff instead of like working on making sure, uh, we were, we were honed in on our own thing and not turning it into following others, things like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's, you know, that's just some random thoughts that are popping up, but, uh, 
I think like I was less less and less based in Alaska too, and and you were less and less based in Alaska, so we had less of a. Everyone was kind of spreading out near the end of the videos, and like mm -hmm. it was harder to connect. We were getting a lot of footy secondhand from Adrian and and Micah from filmers from around the country, which was sick footy, but we weren't as much of like a crew that went out every day and stacked, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it went from being a video that was really community based. You know, I guess I'm thinking about the friends part, you know, those parts hearing you guys talk about them now and how you said that you wanted to add more and more people to it because you knew how that felt, you know, to see your name on that screen. And then as the videos progressed, people, you know, got better, they moved and they still wanted to be part of the video. And so they kind of mailed their footage in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We were getting a lot of that. And then people from other regions that were popping up, you know, it wasn't all about Alaska kids anymore. It was like pulling from the Northwest and Tahoe and, all over really and that's a desire to just keep making the product better mm -hmm. so now now because of where we had gone and what we had produced before we had people that were interested at a different level of performance in being a part of the project and we were friends with them and we were around them in our dealings so then it became oh let's put them in the video mm-hmm Okay, I have a question from Manchild here. He asks, if you had a time machine, what season or what video would you go back to? Hmm. I loved Northern Exposure year. That was the year that I like changed my snowboarding for the better in a lot of ways. And that was the year I met Christina and uh, it was just an exciting year. So I'd choose that year. Uh, that's a tough question. I would probably not choose that year because I still pushed Mongo at that point. <laughs> that's another reason I choose that year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I think, I think, I think that was the end of it. Um, you should do like a, like, I, like a Mongo recovery like program or like a, <laughs> like you can i did it you can do it too <laughs> that's your next yeah. year yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that the probably the the 49th uh year ish or so maybe not 49th the year what was so maybe 100 percent ish or survival of the tightest Maybe survival of Titus was good because <clears throat> I had lived less under the delusion that I was a skateboarder <laughs> and more put more snowboard footage in my part. Okay. And I was kind of at the top of my snowboard game. Uh, our editing had really progressed and pushed out. We had gone off on our own and I've, was still still under the illusion that I would have a long snowboard career. So that was that part was really nice and fun. Okay. Was that um, the year of the Borgarial? Yeah. I yep. Think, yeah. Yeah, that was a big year. That was a huge year for you like in contests too, wasn't it? Yeah. So that was there was 
Yeah, that was the last year. That was 2000, and that was the last year I was on Burton. Um, but, yeah, we had that good footage from the Canadian contest and stuff like that. I love those clips. So the Borgarial from that event could be, like, the best one I've ever done. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a, that was probably my favorite time. I think I filmed those. I think you did. I, w- I would yeah. almost be sure. Yeah, that was cool. Was there any kind of footage you guys tried to avoid as these videos progressed and you guys kind of found your lane? <laughs> I mean, we had to avoid some of the party footage and the some of the footage Micah would give from his yeah. tour stuff and things like that. I mean, we, we didn't want to avoid it, but you needed to avoid it. I remember we put this shot in uh, Polar Bears where this guy downtown punches another guy out yeah like uh probably you know homeless guy and uh, my mom you know she saw that and she signed it said in judy burton her way like oh that was really poignant <laughs> and i was just like you know like there's a lot being said there that's not being said yeah <laughs> like okay i need to look at this as if it's poignant and that's probably not that cool to just you know, film a what would later be known as a bum fight, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, devil, I had this discussion just the other day about the ethics of that, but to, to play devil's advocate a little bit, uh, much as the rappers do, uh, we were speaking of the environment we were in, you know, we, that was a time period where we were downtown all the time skating in the streets. And if, you know, something would just pop off right next to you. So you would just turn and film it. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't quite the, um, you know, we had not gone through bum fights yet. We had not seen the exploitation of that group or that people so much. Uh, and we had, a, you know, I mean, to be fair, when you look back, you had a lot to learn at that time. And we mm-hmm. were wild and uh, the things around us were wild and we we documented it. Yeah. And at the same time, Burtner's absolutely right. Could our movie have done without it? Absolutely. And I... I think as time went on, the weird, wild things we filmed took a different turn away from that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, and it reflected us growing up a little bit along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I liked what you said about it being part of the environment. So if you're, if you're down there and you're trying to get a shot and then there's a fight, I mean, like if you have a camera in your hand and to be honest, if you're a good cameraman, you know, if you're a good filmer, you're just going to turn it toward the action. And this was before everybody had a camera in their hand. Now, <laughs> Literally true, yeah. everybody has a camera in their hand. So <laughs> those kinds of things were very unique to catch uh, on film or something to, to see it happen right in front of you. Unless you spent a lot of time down there, then the stuff would pop off in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have put some of the clips I put in my opener of, um, I think it was Northern exposure maybe where, you know, there's a citizen that wants to mess with me. There's me dealing with cops. There's, you know, there's a few things like that. And, but that was what we were doing. We were out there, uh, skating all the time, dealing with that stuff. And, and that's what happened. So you, you just portrayed it. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if there were any 
unforeseen repercussions, positive or negative, of making or releasing these videos? Well, you got to hope that a lot of people were inspired to snowboard and skateboard and generally just just get after whatever they're into seeing a couple of young people and with the help of obviously the whole community but mm -hmm. make manifest this these creations and the scene that came along with it and and I still you know there's still people that reach out to me and talk about how much it affected them and positively so mm -hmm. that's great um negatively I don't I don't know yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing to talk about, but the, the only, there's never going to be stuff that happens that long without something negative happening during it. But, but to put that on us, that it happened because of that, I would think that's a little bit reaching. I would say overall, I mean, obviously people party, people get hurt skating or snowboarding They're you know, those things are negatives that happened. I mean, I mean, you know, people could party. What I mean is like, people getting into trouble partying, uh, because of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people got in trouble for some things. Uh, but I don't think, I don't think that that was necessarily because of our videos. I would say that overwhelmingly it was a huge positive effect on this community as far as giving people something to look forward to, to strive for, to work towards their passion mm -hmm. to, to be in it. And, um, you know, yeah. I mean, the people filming video parts definitely stayed cleaner than the ones that weren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was just really interesting for me being, like I mentioned, I'm from the hillside. I grew up in Glen Alps. So above the Chugach state park parking lot. So to be combining those worlds for me growing up was so interesting and, um, it was eye-opening, you know, just the socioeconomic depth of the crew <laughs> that was in our movies was wild, you know? Yeah. Like all types, all types of folks. And like from, you know, the Jorge Camellis to the Scott Lethards and mm -hmm. myself and just wide range through the layer cake of Anchorage and the surrounding area. Yeah, again, uh, that beauty of skateboarding is that it will pretty much accept anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had feedback from people reaching out saying skateboarding didn't accept them and whatnot. And, uh, I feel pretty bad for that experience, but in general, like Jesse said, we saw all different races. We saw all different economic backgrounds. Um, pretty much a huge rainbow was, was represented in the skateboarding side of it. Mm -hmm. Snowboarding pretty obviously was a more privileged world and tougher to get into for a lot of families. But the skateboarding side, Jesse and I were both heavily involved in. Uh, it it was a, a, a direction steering part of our lives. And that allowed us to be around so much variety of humans and uh and that's what i think part of the beauty of skateboarding is and i think most of skateboarding would agree that that was that's a beautiful part of what skating is mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I guess if you look at it through that lens now, looking back on it all these years, it's like one thing that would be a negative is there was, wasn't really any women in our videos. Yeah. I would say that that's pretty, pretty accurate. Um, I would say that proportionately there were very few women even participating. And I think that our, our action sports, our lifestyles, whatever you want to call it has gotten better at making that a more welcome space. But at that time, it was very male-driven, very male-dominated, and uh, we definitely could have used more of that influence. Yeah, I think like of the female influence. Yeah, <laughs> in retrospect, it, you know, that would be something I would change. Like, like, hey, let's find these people and like make it happen for them the way we're making it happen for the the other ones that are so readily available. Mm -hmm. But like. You're just trying to make it happen. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 2020 hindsight, you know, like we were just trying to survive and make it happen. But um in retrospect, it would have been cool to have found and elevated some more women in our scene. Yeah. And you guys are also filming your own parts. You know, that would be like a director making a movie and then also writing it. And then um, producing it, you know, so there's... You never heard of Brad Pitt? <laughs> yeah, yeah you, I, I look for those people. They're out there. I mean, you guys are basically making the... You're making the connection. I was the Brad Pitt of Alaska. That's, yeah. I get it. That's cool. I appreciate you guys seeing that. Jason Borg said was the Brad Pitt of Alaska. Quote, Cody Liska. Yeah. Crude Love conversations. It. Yeah. We're going to put that on the next video cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was more like the Steve Buscemi, Alaska, but I mean, that's like the MO of my entire snowboard career. So <laughs> just yeah. uh, DIY. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have had that any different up here, uh, Cody, because this was not a big enough environment to support a filmer making like only being a filmer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we had, we, this stuff came to be because we were snowboarders and skaters that decided to pick up a camera mm -hmm. and take the charge of putting it together. We just also happened to be doing this stuff too. So it was inevitable that that would go that direction. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to sell a hundred million dollars of tickets. You know, we have to sell 300 tickets and we call it a good, good thing. So we, we don't necessarily have to have it separated so that everybody in every position is at the highest possible level. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have any borderline camp stories? Jeez. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you're going to have to send another meeting request, buddy. <laughs> this one will be for the Patreon only. Hey, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> there will be an explicit content warning. Where do you even want to start with that one? Borderline camp is just, that's all. I mean, we were there for the whole thing. We were making it happen. But Scott, you know, that's a story about Scott Liska. Like, yeah. How did he even put that together? <laughs> like, what? Dude, I've been trying the last couple of years and I can tell you it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, he, he works some miracles. Yeah. I mean, that. Yeah, it was so good. I mean, for anyone that wasn't there, we used to be able to go up 
was it June? I want to say it's June. It's after school. It was always the camp would start the weekend after school got out. Yeah, so first or second week of June, something like that. Yeah. And we would, depending on snow, you'd either get to ride, you know, the quad even the first year. Yeah. Private. Yeah. And that first year we hand built all the jumps on all your favorite wind lips, you know, half moon, uh, all of them. You know, we built these hand hand built lips and the ski patrol roller right there where you drop in off the quad. That was mm -hmm. probably the money booter. Yep. And then two directions off off um half moon. And horseshoe right below horseshoe, it. Horseshoe, yeah, and then horseshoe. And then uh, into and then the gullies jump. There was yeah. first aid too. Yeah, that's the first one. aid was the money kicker. Yeah, the, yeah. I cut. Yeah, I said ski patrol, but yeah, first aid. Yeah, first aid, the money jump, and anyways, we'd build these kickers and maintain them, and then it was just like come ride. And that first year, I don't even know if we really had groups or we we were coaches, but it was very free form. Mm -hmm. Um, and then eventually, you know, depending on snow, it ended up in the Glacier Bowl proper with features, rails, those sick mailboxes, mm -hmm. those red mailboxes. And that, I think those were just the best years because you can snowboard from multiple directions, all meeting at the same in the bottom of the Glacier Bowl. And so you, everyone would just be converging down in the flat and you could watch in two or three directions action happening and then converge high five um hike do it again you know like yeah just like the sessions were just mental in there and the progression was through the roof and scott being uh, borderline being this big shop was able to get quite a few pros to come up and so we had some legendary boarders come through and some legendary debauchery going along <laughs> with that <laughs> Yeah, um, <clears throat> Mikey LeBlanc fighting at the bar, the <laughs> Solomon guys being crazy, getting, I feel like there was something with the limo and them getting, jumping out or getting kicked out mid rolling. Um, the, the most legendary story I think of all camp, in my opinion, would definitely be Cody when your dad went up and drove his truck up and wasn't supposed to and grabbed all the demo boards at the end of camp and they were like nah you can't do that and he's like fuck you i'm already here and uh and he may may or may not have had some soda beforehand and during as he was i was during. i was in the truck and yeah i heard it was yeah well then you take it from here <laughs> well it was me and chuck clasby who was a camper okay. but are we allowed to talk about this story? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Yeah, we we were supposed to go get the demo fleet. And uh, we tried to drive up under chair one. And what's the cat track called when you're about halfway up? Uh, doesn't matter, but it's the one that the chair one goes right over. Yeah. Okay. And we ran into snow there and had to turn around. And me and Chuck are in the back. And meanwhile, like... Uh, one of the soup kitchen guys is sitting there with Scott and they had like a, unbeknownst to us, they had some beer and uh, things were getting spicy. And then we cut around to go up uh, over by um, 
what's that chair? Chair four? Yeah. From the lodge? Yeah. Yeah. That's chair four. Yeah. 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 Chair four. Yeah. So we go up that way. And but before we even start the climb, security pulls up and they're like, blah, blah, blah. And Scott's like, nope. And we just take <laughs> off. <laughs> and then it's, you know, pretty much like a few minutes later, they're coming up behind us, but we had a head start and we rip all the way up to the tram in his truck. <laughs> and we get up there and he's like, load the boards, you know, and people are getting off the tram and he whip whips it out and starts taking a piss right in front of these people. <laughs> And he's obviously sauced by now and we throw all the boards in the truck and then he's like, and we're like, okay, we got to undo the rails too. We got to get the rails ready for the cat to bring down. And he's like, I'll drive you guys. We're like, no way, dude. You're going to drive us to the Glacier Bowl? He's like, get in. You know, we're like, oh my God. So we get in the back and he starts making a pass at the Glacier Bowl with us in the back. And I'm just like, Chuck, bail. We got to get out of here. And so we bail, but like some boards are like rolling down the rocks and stuff. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and um, shout then, out to leasing a truck instead of buying it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> then we get, so Chuck and I are like escape, like, you know, we have to escape. He's, you know, a camper anyways, he's 15 mm. and we start hiking up to the glacier bowl. And um, then we see like security coming up lights on and scott gets his truck turned around and then there's like some words but we're already hiking back and then he just peels down and then they have to turn around so he gets the jump on them there and um the rest is so he drives it all the way back down yeah and i think jason can probably take the story from yeah. here <laughs> so i was back then i was a counselor usually and i had just wrapped up packing all my stuff up and was about to leave town and I'm driving out and I see in my rear view mirror, this truck like cut across the road. Well, what happened was it wasn't cutting across the road. You know, we're talking about the main drag in Girdwood mm -hmm. looking up right at the mountain. Well, it was like cutting around like through the ditches and stuff, trying to evade uh capture of some sort <laughs> <laughs> and finally eventually i believe the police or the troopers or whoever was got there and got him to pull over and i had figured out it was scott at this point and stopped and hung around until i saw what was going on uh and and then i had to get a hold of sharon and let her know like scott's being taken to jail uh so on you know and um yeah, that was some wild, wild stuff. And that was not the first time your dad decided to express himself with urine either. <laughs> you know, there's the infamous Valdez uh, ATM, ATM withdrawal. Yeah. Or he tried to deposit some urine in the ATM. <laughs> I've heard this one, yeah. Yeah. yeah I ended up, uh, on that Aliesco one, I ended up taking the Cadillac because Sharon was worried it was going to get repossessed by or like taken away from you guys for some reason yeah and so i drove home that night in like the 69 cadillac limo or whatever which is actually kind of one of my proudest moments because <laughs> i just rolled up to my house and my mom and dad are like what in the world <laughs> yeah my dad was just he was really just 
part of the mix. You know, I feel like he was the mix. With, he was the mix. <laughs> I feel like with with so many business owners or people, you know, in these like perceived authority positions, you know, they're they're the adults in the room. But so often he wasn't the adult in the room. You know, he was <laughs> he was like the biggest kid. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you really should get what Bertner, were you on the trip with them to Blackcomb? No. Pete Iverson. Yeah, that Pete Iverson was there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was a legend. I wasn't there for that one either, but that was a legendary time where your dad was definitely the biggest kid in the room. <laughs> <laughs> nice turd cutter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like at camp, getting, I guess, getting back to camp. I feel like everyone was at the top of their game. You know, I wonder in what way or what did borderline camp mean to the video? Well, at this time in snowboarding, people weren't really filming in the winter. <laughs> like Jason could agree or disagree with me, but you did a lot of your filming in the spring and the summer. Like, yeah. Like it was like, so it meant everything. I mean, we filmed like so much of the videos there, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just because it's two solid weeks of just everyone being in one place. So we were just clipping up like crazy. So it was a, at one point, I think we were like, oh crap, we have way too much camp footage. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was one of the, that was one of the stronger points where Jesse and I could film a lot of other people. Whereas, you know, like the Juno boys would bring footage that they had filmed of each other in the winter, but then we could film them at camp. And uh, at that time I was working with Mac dog in the winter. So most of my winter was filming with Mike. Um, and then if we had filmed some rail footage or anything that I had filmed that didn't get used there, I would put towards that and then film a bunch at snowboard camp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we were filming 49th Chamber and my camera got stolen at that party at Zach's house. Ugh. That was Zach a, Darling? Yeah, that was a legendary saga that ended with basically like, well, it ended in the Royal Fork parking lot like a month later. <laughs> <laughs> but it also had like a full West Side Story gang face off in it <laughs> oh my gosh i don't there think i've ever even remembered this story oh man yeah pika and i were zach invited us to stay at his house and it was like we had our own room and but we they were going to tear that house down the girdwood cabin eventually and build a whole new one which you can see now that's there mm -hmm. and uh he wanted to have like this 16 candles style rager you know, and it really was like the pizza on the moose head, you know, pizza on the turntable, you know, underwear on the moose head type yeah. situation. But like Pike and I were just like, cannot handle this. Let's go to the car and sleep because we knew we had snowboard camp in the morning. And when we came back in the next morning, the my camera was gone out of the room we were in. And so it was became this thing like who took it, who was at the party, you know, and uh Basically, we thought we knew a couple of weeks later when camp was over, we got this posse together and went up to 
this house in the hillside, um, kind of in the Golden View area, and it was like D's and Matt and myself, although I wasn't very ominous, but there was a couple enforcers out in front, <laughs> and uh, we just knocked on the door, and, and Buddy's sister answered, and we are just like, give us the camera. <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, it was this, she freaked out, and the kid wasn't going to come to the door and and then she called the cops and the cops came and we were, there was seriously i think 15 of us or something we rolled in like three or four vehicles <laughs> and it was the cop ended up negotiating like okay they say they think they can get it for you but you got to leave and where are you gonna like where can you know where should they reach out or like call the shop and just you know let us know and then a week later or so i got a call that's like meet me at the royal fork parking lot <laughs> like, <laughs> and just rolled and then this guy just got out and handed me the gl1 and asked me he asked me if there was a reward <laughs> I, was <just> like, <laughs> I was like hell no dude my front nine better be on here i had done like <laughs> one one front nine in my life and it was like on there <laughs> no it's just like i need that front nine <laughs> but uh yeah no he um they filmed themselves on it and so it was pretty funny but most of the footage i think we lost a couple clips like a someone's back five something you know like a couple little it's probably my back 12. Ah, <laughs> uh, we lost your back 12. we lost the first yeah. ever double double borgario first yeah. and only first and only <laughs> yeah but other than that we were cool <laughs> yeah but yeah that was pretty funny the funnest the most times i've pretty much pissed myself laughing were the the trips and the times filming with that video you know there were there was so much good stuff there and some of them were at camp and some of but it was just you were serious and got down to it when it was time to ride but man we fucking really really enjoyed the journey the the company and the the path we went down mm -hmm. yeah and it was like really helpful to have the shop there to like set some stuff up too. like some of those shop battle trips, you know, like, yeah, they all turned into filming missions, but they started off Squarf as like, one. <laughs> yeah. That's such, a, <laughs> that's such a good one. <laughs> so when you squarf one, what happens <laughs> is um, it's when you sneeze and fart at the same time. Is that <laughs> <laughs> but where, I didn't remember where... it, but I just remember that that that's what comes to mind, like just crying about that in the hotel yeah. room. So what happened was one of the Juno boys, I think Firm Biz or something, or rode for square one outerwear. <laughs> and uh, and they put the sticker on the van and then like the E, the bottom of the E came off. So it was Squarf one, and uh, Lando just got a hold of it and it's like Squarf one, <laughs> you know, like, and we're like, what is that, you know? And like, I think someone did the sneeze part, and we're like, that's a Squarf. <laughs> so that's uh, some insider lingo that you didn't know, but now you do. <laughs> yeah. 
are there any snowboarders or skaters you miss seeing out there doing it? What's Darren Mattingly up to? Uh, he's a, uh, he, what do they call it? A foil. He does foils and kite foiling all the time now. Yeah. He's just too talented to stick to any one yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really in our, <laughs> in our genre of that, but I mean, no, we did see a lot of talent and just as time and age goes on, people end up moving on. You know, Draper comes to mind as uh, incredible steak neck talent. Mm-hmm. That um, first double, but double, first double back rodeo. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were just like, what a fucking powerhouse that guy was, and yeah, pretty amazing. Um, there, you know, there's just fuck. I miss them all. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, that there, if you had to pick an era of my life that I appreciate so much, I mean, that's it. And I wouldn't. Now that I have children, uh, I wouldn't really say like something was the best part of my life other than these guys. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, without casting any shadows on my family and stuff, you know what I mean? Like that was the the greatest time in in snowboarding and, and all of that and in Alaska boarding and to get to be a part of those characters and those people. And that is only... I only get that feeling because of all those people that were involved. You mm-hmm. know, if there was no Jerry or Mitch or um, Cooley or Lando or in, if you take any of those people out, it really starts to detract from the overall experience. So, yeah, I mean, I miss them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's fun to see people reconnect with it too, you know, like angel's been skating a bunch and he's getting a bunch of his tricks back and just remembering like how good he was too Mm -hmm. and now seeing him skate more so buttery ball (laughs) i'm coming up off a dime dude he'll find a dime at the skate park and he'll come up off it yeah that's what he does yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, um no yeah they're they've all it's all been amazing i can't think of anyone person really either i mean we had a lot of fucking characters in that in that whole skate crew and then you know getting to travel with all the snowboarders there's a pretty diverse group of snowboarders when you put the juno boys into the mix with the anchorage crew Mm -hmm. Uh, you know you gotta get a lot of talent and you just had a lot of good times a lot of fun and i miss a lot of those guys you know we don't see Bubba anymore. Um, a lot, like half the Juno crew is our helicopter pilots now. Yeah. It was cool to yeah. see so. uh, Courier and Firm were in that video this year that came out of Juno. Yeah. Yeah. That was sweet. Yeah. And obviously Lando had like a sick part in it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's cool too, just to be like, you know, some people, life has happened to a lot of people and, you know, like, Brant ended up hurting himself. Uh, help me with his name, Jason. Shalk. Yeah. But like we have those clips in the video of when he was healthy. And, um, you know, it's just awesome to that he was able to be in that video and he had such rad style. And, and then Mitch, you know, like he passed away. So mm-hmm. it's just like we have those clips of Mitch, those little jewels, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, 
So. Darden, on the other hand. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> I, I was Astro. I was in. I was in Tasty Freeze the other day, and they are like this winter, and with Ollie, and there was a on the wall. There's something that he signed from, like he's like in the government or something. Oh, he's always running for the thing, but really he's mainly uh, pretty. I don't know what you want to call it. If you want, I don't know if you would identify it as right wing, but uh, I don't know, whatever. He's just, he's really uh, heavily involved in making whatever issue he's into really known. You know, hmm. I was at the fair and we have a booth at the fair. And one day there's a kerfuffle going on. You look down the street and you're like, somebody's yelling about 3G and or 5g and how it's uh causing covid and this and whatever you know it was during that time yeah and uh the security guards wrestling some guy on the ground and he's yelling 5g it's 5g oh and he stands up and and they got him you know restrained and stand up it's darden <laughs> i think i remember you, you know? telling me that yeah and, and then like Darden will be on the news talking about how the fluoride in the water or the, you know, the, I don't know, man, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, some characters up in there. Yeah. Okay. One more question from Manchild. If you were building a wedge at tin can, like between us have... or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you were building a wedge at tin can and you could only have five riders, one photographer and two filmers who would they be and why well well man child's the film well let's take jesse and i as the filmers oh okay well he could be the <laughs> photographer that way we can we don't have to be the writer we can double dip here <laughs> i don't dude, that's a that's a wild one yeah i don't know i mean i'm thinking I'm thinking of that first session when we really cracked tin can open the Borg back nine tail jump, which stayed the Borg back nine tail jump for years and years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's like what it's known as. And uh, I just think of that jump and like the people that have thrown stuff off that. I think of the back nine tail, then Dre's front seven where he doesn't grab whatsoever and just floats around. Mm -hmm. So I'd put Borgie, I'd put Dre. I'm just going to go with like Bogart too and Geno and Lando. Uh, Lando, dude. Yeah, well, we were there, not that jump, but a different jump. The last time I was at Tin Can with Lando and he's like, we got to go to do some bigger jumps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's when I kind of knew this guy was going to head, head out on his own. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? I'm like, I'm like gripped, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is like all I got. Like, <laughs> Lando pretty much manhandled that step up. Oh yeah, that thing. I mean, it was hectic all, too. It yeah, it was really a lot of G's into the bottom of it, and it didn't look like it was like that for him. Looked like a, you know shorter legs were an advantage there or something, but. <laughs> 
it was really difficult for me to figure out. I didn't, I really, I think that's one where I just faded off into the filming side. You know, you try a couple and you're like, mm, this probably is, you know, let's let somebody else do this. I'll film. Yeah. That jump is kind of a, it looks awesome on film, but hitting it's kind of a son of a bitch. Mm. Yeah. You're just flying into it like way too fast for what the air feels like. Classic step up scenario. Yeah. And I think the other, another guy who dominated most any session that he was up there was McCarthy. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's season year when he went out all night and partied and then came up the next day, like puking on the hike. <laughs> and then yeah, like with those silver pants. <laughs> yeah. I got like, got like eight pants. clips or something. Yeah, dude, the funny part about that nobody understands is that back then, not even skiers were using skins on their stuff. So tin can was a stair step, a ladder, basically the entire way up. And we would come out there and, dude, I was split board that thing all the time now. And I'm like, oh, man, that was, oh, that was a bit of a trek. <laughs> Just one time up on the split board. Yeah. We would come up. Everybody would hike up that thing with your water, with the music, with shovels on your back, with snowboard on your on your arms and back and all this. Uh, this is, the, I guess, the beauty of being 25 or whatever and in the best shape you're ever going to be in. We would dig a jump for three hours or whatever, and then we would hammer for a while, uh, get some clips, ride down to the bottom and re rinse and repeat the next day. And you would do that over and over. And it's it's pretty crazy to think about the effort that was put into that on a massive level uh, from a bunch of people. And it produced pretty rad. You ever go out there with Bogart? Well, yeah, dude, of course. Yeah, he shows up with like a big gulp <laughs> and some yeah. microwavable burritos. <laughs> That's like my favorite Bogart Take it off story. one shoulder. Yeah. Well, like the first time we ever went there with him, we were like okay, dude, you got to bring a shovel, like kind of giving him like the, the what's up of like the crew, you know, like you got to mm -hmm. have a shovel, you got to have water, you know, like, uh, whatever, you know, like just, you got to be part of the crew. You can't just come up and hit the jump and he comes up kind of late. So we're already kind of ready to make fun of him. And, uh, <laughs> he comes walking up with just his snowboard and we're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, we said bring a shovel and he like holds his one finger up like wait and then he like zips his jacket and pulls like this little shovel out <laughs> of his jacket <laughs> or like from two places i think and puts it together like an avi shovel and we're like and water and he's like wait and he like pulls out like a 7-eleven like mega big gulp like one of those insulated cups and then he pulls fritos and cheese dip out of separate pockets <laughs> We're just like, hell yeah, dude, this kid is on another level. Different. Very the different. Only, the only like story that could possibly live up to that one with him is the snowshoes off the mantle <laughs> story. <laughs> when we went to uh, the rail out at the, the glacier that's gone. Portage. Portage? Yeah. yeah. We're like, dude, you have to have snowshoes. He never had snowshoes. We're like, uh, Yoshida called him the postal service, like post hole service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but uh, like you have to have snowshoes. It's like a mile of like rotten snow. Yeah. And we sh show up and 
he literally has snowshoes off of like his dad's above his dad's fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> Like with the, like with the, with the like hide and like, <laughs> like sinew, sinew snatches. <laughs> yeah, love him. Do you guys think the local snow and skate video is finished, or is there still room for them? I think there's definitely room for it on on a local level. I think it'd be hard to make it large. I mean, you see skate shops showing up on Thrasher online with their skate videos, with their crew videos. So I think there's definitely room for it. You know what you just will never see and you never did see hardly? I don't know if anyone else put the two together. Snowboarding and skating. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you don't... I mean... That was kind of a little bit of our downfall, but, um, or a detriment to our success, uh, because people were starting in the beginning, people were kind of into it. And then our, our people around here were always into it on a local level, but on a national level, you had warp magazine and one or two others that would try to mix it. But then as the nineties moved on, that started to fall out of favor. And, uh, so we saw that there weren't, yeah, there weren't very many people doing that. Yeah. And just thinking off the top of my head, the last movie I saw that had them both in it, you know, like, you know, other than Susie Greenberg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, and even Greenberg, you know, was Scott skated in it, but it wasn't like there was like skaters filming video parts. It was a snowboard video that had skating in it. Yeah. That's <clears throat> that's pretty unique to our scene, I would think. Maybe some East Coast, but I, I, I would I would have to imagine that during that time period there were other local people in in local scenes doing something similar in Utah or places like that, but you got to have a place that has a vibrant skate scene and a vibrant snowboard scene and that they get along and don't think each other's whack. Mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah. What would you guys say to a group of kids in Alaska who want to make a video but don't know if it's even a relevant way to get their footage out there anymore? Fuck relevant. Just do that shit. <laughs> yeah, I would say that. I would just say fuck relevant. Just do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I would also say... Uh, <laughs> I would also say to look at like the staying power of the video, like think of it, you might want to think a little bigger picture than, than your IG feed mm -hmm. or the IG feeds obviously important, but like entertain the possibility of the full length, let it into your heart. <laughs> Make video horizontal again. <laughs> yeah. I, I think to be honest, I get, you know, requests for sponsorship and things like that. And so I do get some of this type of thing. And I just rallied our skate team together and tried to push them to come up with some ideas for, for videos, uh, to, you know, try to hopefully motivate them to get something going. Uh, cause I, at least on a local level, I definitely believe in it, but you just ask the kid, what are you trying to accomplish here? 
Mm-hmm. Are you trying to get sponsored? Are you trying to make a piece of art? Are you trying to get more followers, you know, and then base your shit on that? What, you know, there's different, a different direction to go for each of those things, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think that they, you know, just, there's just so much in that video, in that local video that gives so much room for community and, 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 and the premiere side of it. Like I would say that to them too. I'd be like, have you ever shown your footage on a big old screen with the music blasting with all your closest friends and family around? Mm -hmm. Have you ever worked on something for a solid year as hard as you can and tell, and then he worked on it around the clock for a couple months in the editing room and then shared it publicly and put yourself out there like that. And like felt what that feels like, like, you should, you should experience that. Like your whole community should experience that. If you got a group of homies that are out just filming with your phone every day, like, yeah, like tip it sideways and, and make a video and, and put it up on a wall somewhere, rent some speakers. Like it's going to be sick, dude. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be blown away with how good that feels. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. We still have uh, the VX crew out of Juno still kind of pulling that you know they're one of the few people up in alaska that's really keeping consistent on that and it's a Mm -hmm. it's jesse couldn't have said it better you know it's beautiful to be a part of such an effort and the camaraderie it brings to to share that effort with others share with your friends i mean to to put the effort in with your friends and then to share that with others what do you guys miss most about doing the JB Deuce videos? I mean, other than being young. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty hefty one. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think just the community of it. Like, yeah, like I wish that I knew more in the moment what it was, but it was so hectic just on the day to day that it's hard to really get a sense of it when you're in it. But mm-hmm. I think just, yeah, like I miss hanging out with that many people with a common goal and not a lot of strings attached, like what I do now for work and, you know, there's sponsorships and contracts and levels of team and trying to get people what they deserve and you're still working on cool projects and being creative but when you're just kids doing it for really no money whatsoever and and uh, just to have it created but everyone's all in on that concept that's really free (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's really nice yeah so the strings having the strings attached of being of being older now and and having you know having turned some of the aspects of jb deuce into a career that i still use to this day you know it's just not quite the same because you're not in that place you're not at that time and you're not with those people mm-hmm. and that was like one of the freest times of my life not just in my daily schedule, but what Jesse's talking about with, um, 
the no strings part, we were able to go snowboarding when we could snowboard, go skateboarding all summer, uh, hang out with all these people all the time. And there was no real rules to it. We got to make the video however we wanted to do it. And we got to express ourselves through that. And we got to have a ton of laughs and we got to experience so many people, so many personalities that were awesome and uh, so many laughs, so many good times and smiles came from that period of time that mm-hmm. I miss that a lot uh, because I never smile anymore. <laughs> but um you know i miss the the shit talking with everybody um get, giving each other crap because you loved each other mm-hmm. and um and 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 feeling like you really belong to this group that was a that was amazing yeah i would wake up in the morning and be like know that i had just the whole day to wait for micah to wake up (laughs) (laughs) i would go down to the skate park and just kind of skate do my thing but just waiting waiting finally go to his house try to roust him then it would be like taco bell (laughs) and what's he what's he gonna do like how is he gonna he would always do something funny at taco bell (laughs) Like even like nine times he would just eat the food normal. And then that 10th time he would act like he was like a raccoon or a badger or something and attack his plate (laughs) and just like throw food like up around like this cloud of like tortillas and beans and rice. (laughs) And that was like the day. And then it was like, okay, now it's time to film. We've done like all of the like bullshit. Now it's like, then we start filming, you know, like days like that. Like it was just like, that's, those are really free times and you know they say that you don't get much chance to be bored and kids don't have a chance to be bored and that's pretty precious and mm-hmm. i look back on that time of being like not bored because we had an objective on those days but definitely like waiting for the magic to present itself mm-hmm. yeah i think that the the thing that i learn as i get older and lose more things or people or situations is that you it just can't be more true that you don't know what you have until it's gone and uh i think adults try to tell you hey really you know you should slow down and soak this in a little bit and uh i don't think there was a lot of that done at that time for me and i hope that kids understand that these are some of the best friendships and some of the best laughs and some of the some of the best times you're going to have and you should really appreciate it while it happens and uh, help to nourish that to continue to happen yeah yeah for sure well it's just amazing what you've done there too jason it's awesome and it's like we've talked about it before but it's a whole different thing than borderline but you're in, you've put yourself in a position to create something akin to it you know and like in a new era with all new people but but you're doing it you know it's just awesome yeah i think like you know if i had stayed in alaska i would be in there doing that with you yeah i mean i remember 
<laughs> talking about you and I standing together in the Diamond Center and Scott being like, I'll sell you that for a million bucks. <laughs> I offered him 10 grand because <laughs> I had gotten like a, I had gotten like a, like some money from my grandfather and I thought I was like rich and I was like, I had $10,000. <laughs> I was like, I'll buy Borderline for 10 grand. He's like, ah, 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 ah. that won't even cover the Oakley bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's on the phone? Oakley? Ah, no, I'm not here. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, a million bucks. <laughs> a million bucks. <laughs> I think they, we both thought um, eventually some da somewhere down the line, we completely blacked out the idea that Scott had children that he might pass it on to and, and kind <laughs> yeah. of considered, our, oh, well, we'll, you know, someday when it's all over, we'll take this over and we'll keep borderline going and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. And yeah. <laughs> Succession, Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well jesse jason you know that's that's all the questions i have for you guys and uh you know i want to thank you for spending this time with me i've been wanting to do this interview for a couple years now and uh you know i'm really happy we we're able to find time for it absolutely yeah i just want to say thank you uh to jesse and to the alaska community i can't name all you people but um this will, you know, JB Deuce times will forever live in my life as some of the greatest times that ever happened to me. And uh, I use them as a reference constantly. And uh, they particularly serve me in my old man back in the day uh, quotations. Um, and I, I, I couldn't be more proud of the people I was around and couldn't be more happy that I got to be a part of of this thing. And I, I really believe it was the best thing I could have ever been a part of. Yeah. I remember that <clears throat> the first time we got together to talk like video concept, we were at round table pizza <laughs> in the diamond center. And I brought my little notebook and we came up with, we, I think our sole purpose was to come up with the name and we came up with polar bears and I just can't, believe I would think back to that often, like that moment. And just like how many at, at that point, if you told me we were going to make seven videos and do what we did, I would have been like, blown away, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm just thankful to and yeah, thankful for the whole community and Scott for believing in us too. And just uh, I think um, are all the videos still up on your on your Vimeo? Most of the videos are on the Vimeo page. Uh, some of anything that was on YouTube pretty much got flagged uh, for music. So most of it lives on Vimeo. And um, I think a few were difficult to get up there, but I will get them back up. So yeah, most most of them live there. Yeah, I think I've I think I looked recently and they were mostly still up there. So, so like subscribe and comment in the bio or link in the bio, um, comment down below. If you want to see all the videos up, comment below and we'd love to know what your favorite video is. Thanks.
It really helps the channel. And a big yeah. shout out to Muscle Milk. <laughs> muscle yeah, milk. And, and Downset for anger. Yeah. <laughs> big shout out to Downset, you know, anger, hostility towards the opposition. It's just the way I live my yeah. life. <laughs> shout out to two of those years being Downset songs. <laughs> Kid was crazy. He was full of angst. What can I say? <laughs> you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. 